we could be getting a lot of things done and we could be ignoring the really important questions of, are these the things I'm meant to be getting done? And what happens in a day when I don't get a lot done? Like, is that a disappointing day to God? Is that actually, could that be a good day? A day... Hey, All Things listeners, I have some fun news to share. I have a bookstore. Through a sweet partnership with 10 of those, I have an online store where you can go to find all the books I recommend on this podcast, plus all my books in one place. Here's why I'm so excited about the bookstore and my partnership with 10 of those. Everything in the store is handpicked and points to Jesus, so you won't have to worry about accidentally purchasing something that you later regret. You can also feel good about sending the link to others. Everything in the store is always discounted. Seriously, check out the very low prices. All shipping is $1 all the time. I know we're all addicted to free shipping, but $1 to support a quality gospel-centered store is more than worth it. And the profits from 10 of those go to support global missions. You know I love that. Again, so worth it. And finally, shopping at my store is a great way for you to support all things, plus my other projects. So be sure to regularly check the links in my show notes and go book shopping. Welcome to All Things, everybody. It is so good to have you. Today, I am thrilled to be sharing with you the voice and the stories and the wisdom of a friend and a co-laborer, another author, Jen Pollock-Michelle. Um, Jen has, is a beautiful writer. She's written several books. We're going to be talking today about In Good Time, her latest release. Um, but I wanted to have Jen come on and help us kick off the month of March Women's History Month, and I know many of my listeners are women, though not all of you, thankful for the male listeners out there as well. Um, but just to dive into some things that are um, definitely re resounding as cultural trends for us this month. So Jen, welcome to All Things. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. Yes. Thanks so much, Jen. It's great to be here. So where are you um, speaking from? Where are you located right now? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background as an author and geographically and other things that might be helpful for people to know about you. Yes. Well, we have recently moved. Um, we moved back to the United States after 11 years outside of the U.S. We were living in Toronto and came back because um, my mom has a health diagnosis and just realized that we needed to be closer to her. So we are in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I am not complaining because we are recording this in February and I'm like, it is warm outside. <laughs> You know, relatively, relatively yes. outside. Um, so we have three college-age kids that we left behind in Canada, two high school-age boys who are with us here in Cincinnati and making the transition. And it's it's been very good, I would say. God's really been good to us. So yeah, I was writing um, all those years in Toronto, and I think we really thought that that would be home. And interestingly enough, of course, you know, Jen, we've connected about my book about home, and just I'm so thankful to have realized that my home is in God, you know. And so mm, even yeah. when God moves us on, um, especially unexpectedly, that we can still experience like a great deal of peace and stability in our lives. Mm, yeah. I will never forget. So it's the title of that book is keeping place, yes. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Keep place. I was just second guessing myself, but um, my listeners probably know that we moved back unexpectedly to the United States seven years ago. Um, also to be near a parent. And mm. I, I was painting my kid's bathroom in our new home, listening to keeping place uh, mm. as an audio book and just 
sobbing my eyes out, <laughs> you, you know, ministered to me and helped me remember that my home is in the Lord and he is with me and he is faithful even in this, you know, that very unexpected turn. Mm. But now you're walking it out. Now you have, you're keeping place yeah. in a new place. Yeah. 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 It's and been... Toronto to Cincinnati. That's, yeah. that's a big change. I know. I mean, it really, my mom was living in Columbus and so we, knew that we needed to orient ourselves, you know, either in Columbus or somewhere close to Columbus. And for a variety of different reasons, we chose Cincinnati, um, knowing that, you know, when time allowed, we would bring her to us. And all of those circumstances sort of conspired to that let that happen really quickly. So she's actually here with us now, and we've gotten her settled as well. And um, yeah, I feel like once you find a church, you can yeah. sort of make your home. I mean, really, the church community here has been such a such a gift to us, and we're experiencing mm. God's welcome through them. Oh, that is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for any listeners out there who've made a transition, which is probably everybody, because yeah. who doesn't transition in the 21st century? Keeping place is such a great word for that. Mm. Um, what do you just really superficial question? What do you miss most about Toronto? Oh gosh, I miss Canadians. You know, it's so funny. I remember when we moved to Canada and thinking that I was discovering the differences between Americans and Canadians very slowly. Like it kind of grew up like more, the more, the longer I live there, the greater I realize the differences are. Um, and now being back in the U.S., I'm like, gosh, I miss Canadians. I mean, I love mm-hmm. Americans. I love their openness. I love their willingness to kind of just be themselves. Um, but there's also something, yeah, that I, I guess I just miss about Canadians. They're very, mm-hmm. um, they're very diplomatic. Um, and that's a wonderful quality. Yeah, that is a wonderful quality. Thankful for that. Um, I'm sure we could learn a little bit from that. That's good. That might not be the first <laughs> adjective people use when that we talk about might not be. <laughs> <laughs> You said authentic, which I feel like is maybe a euphemism for other words you could use. But... <laughs> Um, okay. Well, one thing I know about you, Jen, from probably years of following you on Twitter, um, and I noticed you're not really on Twitter anymore. I'm not on that often either, but yeah. did you leave Twitter altogether? I didn't leave. You know what? I just cannot find a good rhythm with yeah. social media in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'll go through spurts and, you know, I'll be out there posting things. Um, I felt like I started to just feel like Twitter just wasn't my space anymore. Yeah. And Instagram felt a little bit more like, okay, mm-hmm. I could kind of exist here a little bit, but even there I'm very sporadic and, I would like to be better, truthfully. I think that there's a lot of wonderful ways to use these things, but it's yeah. just, I just don't have a good rhythm, I have to say. And I also right. just don't, I feel sort of inexpert at it. So this is mm-hmm. the real truth is that I avoid doing things that I don't feel good at. And social media is one of them. Yes, I can relate a hundred percent. But I remember seeing you tweet years ago, something about, you know, productivity and time management, or I think you were, you loved time management books. Like you would sometimes share or ask people for time management recs. And I I think I remember that because I really saw myself in that, you know, how, Mm -hmm. how do I balance writing? How do I balance motherhood, my local church ministry? You know, there's, I feel called and excited about so many different spaces. Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I do it all? How do I manage it all? Um, but a point that you make in your book in good time is that that's kind of a new problem 
Mm-hmm. The time, the idea of time management is, is a modern issue. Can you zoom us out as we start this conversation? Um, where did it, why is it new? Where did it come from? How, why hasn't it always been like this? Mm-hmm. Well, part of it is that, you know, we just haven't measured time always in exactly the ways that we do now. So the fact that we can like count minutes and seconds, you know, the clock actually did come out of the monastery, but even then it wasn't like they had, they didn't have a minute, minute hand and second hand, you know, it really mm-hmm. was just to sound the hours and to call the monks to, to times of prayer, to times of you know, eating together and working. Um, So you really see time management actually come out of the factory where there is actually like a stopwatch, you know, it's scientific management of labor. And so how do we create more efficiencies? How do we eliminate waste? And that sort of happens in the factory. And in one sense, you know, I mean, I think that can make sense, you know, but you can also see all the problems that really start to happen as soon as you take a mechanical measure. So productivity really was about measuring how much machines could produce or men in factory lines, you know, could produce. And now we just extrapolate that. We sort of import all of the, or export all of those categories onto all kinds of human labor. And we start to get into a lot of trouble because the human body doesn't work like a machine. Um, So what happens in the 20th century is that, you know, you start to see productivity kind of get exported for the um, the corporate executive. So that's sort of the first iteration of time management. It comes to the 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 manager, you know, um, and usually the, the male manager, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you do, incidentally, I mean, parallel, I guess, even to that, though, you do see some time management sort of happening with, like, women typists. So there were Lillian, I think, and Lillian Gilbreth, and I think her husband's name was Frank. They did a lot of, like, these time motion studies. So that's actually how we get the typewriter, how it is today, where the letters fall, where the actual, you know, I mean, we don't use typewriters anymore, but I actually learned to type on a typewriter, not a, <laughs> like an electrical one, not a manual yeah. one, but, you know, you used to have this thing you had to, like, push over, and so they actually actually took a camera and measured how people, like just how the hands moved and how could you situate the keys on the keyboard differently to eliminate waste. Um, And then, then you just can sort of see where we are today, that productivity is just for every individual worker. And it's actually, um, you know, in across industries, even, and across different kinds of employees, people are getting, in productivity scores. Um, so it's not just the Amazon worker, it's all kinds of people. In fact, I was just reading an article in August that um, there was a chaplain in Minnesota who gets assigned like assigned productivity points, like actual points for, you know, certain, like a visit to the dying is worth this much, a, a funeral service is worth that much. And yeah, um, so, I think until the pandemic, I just thought this is this is a good productivity is a good. And then I think yeah. when I could when I couldn't be productive in the same ways, mm. and I felt the anxiety about that. That's when mm-hmm. I started to sort of dig into some of the assumptions, I guess. Gosh, I mean, this I feel like is kind of maybe earth shattering for some of us as we, because it feels like efficiency, as you have said, uh, productivity, you know, getting the most out of our day, out of every minute, um, is just kind of the foundation Mm. for how we live. I mean, we, these ideas 
were instilled in us in preschool and uh, up till now. So to think about living in a way that's where you don't take into account efficiency just kind of boggles my mind, but it also feels like we've been really duped. We've been really tricked. Like we've set our life up on something that is really shaky ground. Yes. Yeah. I think someone said it really well. So a book that actually really helped me was called Counterproductive by Melissa Mm -hmm. Gregg, and it is published by Duke University. And she's the one who really does the historical overview here. And she talks about the self-fulfilling logic of like time management. It's always just productivity for more productivity's sake, you know, efficiency for more productivity. But but productivity actually like is not really a goal. Like it, it's not a purpose. I mean, yeah. in the sense of it doesn't give you like a philosophical, moral, spiritual, religion, religious reason for, you know, the good. The good in productivity is the actual output. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where we're really into a lot of trouble because we could be getting a lot of things done and we could be ignoring the really important questions of, are these the things I'm meant to be getting done? And what happens in a day when I don't get a lot done? Like, is that a disappointing day to God? Is that actually, could that be a good day? A day when you're in a season, I mean, you could be in a season, for example, of ill health. And I think this is where it just really starts to feel so burdensome. Like, so if I'm in a season of ill health, am I like doing it wrong? If Mm -hmm. I can't keep up the pace of my normal sort of work and labor and kind of helpfulness in the world? Or can I actually be invited into a new rhythm because my body calls me to it? And so you see how as soon as we kind of measure our the output of our bodies according to a mechanical measure, like you're just not in human categories anymore. You don't have season, you don't have any give, any margin for even just to see, even just a bad day, or even you're just moving slower for some reason, because maybe your child got you up three times last night, or, you know, the neighbor's dog was barking. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to be challenged. And I think you're right, Jen, that so often we've just kind of assumed we can take these categories and say, well, they're kingdom categories, right? Like, of course, seek first the kingdom of God and produce as much as you can for his righteousness. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Let's talk about that further. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like we need to unpack that quite a bit. We'll come back to that because I'm like, oh, Jen, don't call me out like that. I don't appreciate that. Um, It seems like now you wrote this book for both men and women. It's not like a women's issue book, but Thinking of women, which you and I both are, and not a lot of the listeners are, this feels maybe like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like maybe even a more pressing issue for women or something that we we really must reckon with um, because for better or worse, you know, the Lord God made us to produce babies and to raise babies. And of course, it's not always women who are at home um, by any means, but a lot of times that's where we find ourselves pausing productivity as we might, yeah. as it might feel to birth a baby, to raise a baby, to care for sick children. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where are women at in this conversation right now? And how did we get to this moment as well? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm glad you're asking this. Like, I, I don't even really think I grappled with it as much when I was writing the book, but I've been identifying it more as I speak to audiences about the book and the topic of the book. So um, as I was putting it to somebody recently, I think that one of the challenges for women is that we actually just have like expectations on absolutely every area of our life. So I can just speak for even just my own family. My husband is an executive for a Fortune 500 com company. Like he's got a big job. He's got a lot of responsibilities, but nobody ever asked him like, so how are your kids doing? And what did you make for dinner tonight? And are your, um, like, how's your house? Like, is it well decorated? Is it clean? <laughs> you know? So women in the 21st century, like it's really assumed now that, um, career is a good, you know, I think culturally, if we just talk about like women are invited into these spaces and they're called to be, you know, professionally ambitious, but that's not to say that they are allowed to lay anything else down mm -hmm. that now culturally you're expected to sort of like, you know, cover all of your bases and it's just too much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's tons of research that talks about, you know, Arlene Hochschild, I think is her last name, has written a book called The Second Shift to basically mm -hmm. say like when women re-enter the workforce um, with second wave feminism, they didn't, they, they still kept up all of their other responsibilities. So there's not, it's not as if, okay, now, you know, husband and wife are in the workplace. And so division of household labor will be more equitable. That just hasn't happened. And um, yeah, so it is, it is a huge issue. And I think, like you said, the other thing I think that's true is that we get a lot of narratives about how like your life should work and sort of what you know, what a trajectory might look like of like, you know, the common adult. I mean, even my husband and I were talking about this recently and he was telling me about a book that he was reading, like where these certain years of your life will involve building your career and honing your skills. And then, you know, when you reach middle age, like you're transitioning into mentorship and relationship. And I'm like, I kind of feel like that's a male timeline. <laughs> Because like I've had all these interruptive seasons, you know, I had a season of work, I was a high school teacher, and then I started having children. And so I had a long season at home, then I started to pick up the writing. And it was kind of like, you know, a little bit here and there. And like, that's sort of grown into something I didn't even necessarily think I was stepping back into full time work. And mm -hmm. like, here I am. you know. Yeah. So I think when and so women, I also think women absorb, like if you're a mother, you do tend to absorb more of the contingencies of your family. Um, so while my husband and I both have work responsibilities, like if there's a sick kid, like it's usually me picking up the kid from work. Um, I mean, from school. So there's just, those are, I know those are broad generalizations and every family works differently, but I do think that those tend to be trends. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I want to keep unpacking the problem, but I want to get to some of the solutions mm. that you recommend. You know, you do in this book, just give us such a, a good anecdote in terms of some habits and some things that we can, some goodness and truth that we can return to. Because as I'm hearing you talk, you know, you're describing me and I do feel frazzled mm. and I do feel, I do cloak it in kingdom words. You know, I want to be a good steward and I want yes. to make the most of every opportunity, you know, biblical language, right? Um, but yeah, it is really, it is really, um, disorienting to realize that I, I maybe am centering my life on some false 
premises about mm. what I'm here for and what I should do. So Jen, take us into some of these habits that you have written about. The subtitle to your book is Eight Habits for Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace. Tell us about a few of those habits. How can we reorient our minds to what is true? Mm. Well, one of the things I think I'm doing in the book is I'm trying to invite people into a different story of time. And really, it does begin in God's time plenty. Um, so like a Psalm 90, you know, which orients us to God really having a lot of having all sufficient time from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So once you've kind of stepped into that, um, like the habit number two is um, receive. And this is one of the things that I think can sort of help us to counter what we, the kind of the posture of time management, which is really about control. It's about managing your time, which is just a synonym sometimes for control, because how can we Ouch. really manage our time? You know, when you think about manage or even just the words that people use, like I'll make time for this, like no one makes time. Like God is actually the maker of time and the giver of time. And so what that does a lot of times is it gives us a lot of um, unrealistic expectations around the kind of, the kind of control we have that we feel that time is at our disposal. And so there's this frustration when time doesn't like serve our demands. And so what I want people to do like from the very outset is just to learn to receive time as a gift to sort of like open your hands a little bit and say, if God gave us um, time, then it's his to give and, and us, it's ours to offer back to him with praise. Um, and it means that you've got to receive time and all of its content. Like on the one hand, you do receive sufficient time because if God calls you to do something, not only will he give you the physical energy and the skills and the capacities, like he will give you the time. But that doesn't mean you get to sign up for like everything and just assume that like time will be made. Like you have to receive the givens of your life. You have yeah. to receive the limits of your life. Um, you have to receive the interruptions of the everyday. Um, so that's just this idea of, yeah, looking up and saying, okay, before I even seek to like manage an hour or a minute, how about I just receive it with Thanksgiving and then look to not, I mean, steward is a good word. I think we kind of do get at a loss of vocabulary. Mm. I just, I like to think about receiving it. And I think like to thinking, think about offering it. And mm. that's another chapter. I mean, we could talk about that, but um, you know, when you think I was actually just in um, Matthew, I've been sort of slowly going through the gospel of Matthew, like very slowly. I'm only in Matthew chapter two. Um but how the wise men, they um, follow the star, like, and as soon as they meet the baby Jesus, like they open up their treasures and they offer them to him. And again, I think that's something that time management gets wrong. Like if you assume it's at your disposal, like you kind of assume it's yours to spend. Mm. And like, I could tell a story. I remember this pastor, you know, talking about, um, and this is a pastor in Toronto and, uh, you know, our church is full, was full of young professionals and people who are super busy. 
And the, you know, he was basically saying like, if you could just give God five minutes of your day, um, you would see such benefit from that. And I think on the one hand, like that's kind of where people have to start sometimes. Mm. And then on the other hand, I want to say like five minutes, like, so that means like 24 hours and I mean, 23 hours and 55 minutes are yours. No, like, no, your whole, like every square inch of your life, including like every moment of your day is not yours. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like anything else that God's given you, you offer it to him and you're always looking to like, Lord, you know, how do I make use of this gift um, for your glory and for the good of my neighbor? So, you know, those are the first couple at the beginning, receive and offer. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of living in a way of receiving is so countercultural and so counter to our flesh. Um, and even just you saying, you know, time management is maybe a euphemism for control. Um, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely feel that, but receiving the limitations of our bodies, receiving the limitations of our setting, our resources, our context, that is so hard in a time and place that says you can do anything you want to do. Yeah. You can be whoever you want to be. Just work hard, try yes. hard mm-hmm. and make it happen. Mm-hmm. So how do you, I guess I I have two questions. I know the Mm -hmm. pandemic was pivotal for you. So I want to hear a little bit about the pandemic. And then maybe it's related to my second question of how do we keep living in a way that acknowledges these truths? I mean, it's for me, like I have this conversation, I read the book um, and and I I apply these things for a time, but what are some things where we can really build in a foundational change into Mm. how we carry out our days. So maybe start with the pandemic and then we can get into the. Yeah. I think those are, I think those will tie in nicely because you cannot just learn a new story of time. You actually have to enter into new practices, Mm -hmm. which I think is just pretty much axiomatic in the spiritual life. So often we look to kind of like absorb truths in our mind, but really it's kind of the motion and the movement of our bodies as we respond to those truths that like work them deep in within us. Um, So I would just say with the pandemic, I really started to see like, you don't manage time. You 100% receive it. We received a season, like a global crisis And I tried to work my way out of anxiety in that crisis by just getting busy, like within my house. Mm -hmm. It actually was a little bit pathological. Like when I look back at it, that I I tried to like assuage my own kind of disoriented, you know, this disorientation, I guess, with just like more productivity. Like I'll clean this, I'll organize this, I'll start Mm -hmm. this project, I'll do that. And then like that will make me feel like I'm kind of right side up in this world. Mm -hmm. And of course that didn't work. And I remember then sort of turning to, okay, well, what about new spiritual practices? I'll pray the hours. Yes, that'll be the thing that I'll do that will help me feel oriented in time. And when I started to like just learn about that practice historically, Christians didn't pray the hours, you know, at set points of the day so they could feel less anxious. They did it so they could offer to God the ceaseless hymn of praise and enter into kind of what they imagined was just this cosmic ceaseless hymn of praise. 
And I remember reading that and thinking, I know nothing about that. Like Mm -hmm. all I know is like internal urgency to kind of get things done. Mm -hmm. Praying the hours like started actually was the practice that like confronted that head on. Because what I would do is like I'd have, I mean, I had a long standing habit of spending like early morning hours with God did that, was continuing that. But then I would like, I started to, okay, as soon as I sit down at my desk, I'm going to pray, have lunch with my family because everybody's home. It's the pandemic. Sit down at my desk again, pray. And it was those two times in particular of, of consecrating some time for prayer when I was like up against the rub of, I got to get things done. Like I don't have time to pray. Um, So I want to say that like that, so I would say that was a practice that led me into kind of a, a, to at least examining and confronting my own kind of frenetic internal energy and just like idolatrous desire for productivity. I would also say like the, um, I was keeping a very, very copious pandemic journal and what happened was I started to see like that that urgency to produce like recede a little bit. It was about like six months into it. And I started to just name, I just really started the practice of gratitude, I think was more intentional. Mm. And that was like that receiving of life of, um, okay, these aren't the days that I expected to be living at this season of my life. Like my kids are still home. Like my husband's not back at work. Like we're not traveling. But um, what can I be grateful for? How do Mm -hmm. I see God at work? And so I was just recording that and realizing like, I'm receiving life in a new way. I'm not, I'm more open to just like, what do you have, Lord? So I think your question is a really good one, Jen. And one, as I've been working through the book, um, I'm really starting to think that I want to call more people to like a, a rule of life practice. Um, and we could, we could get, you know, talk about that a little bit more, but just this idea of like, what are the orienting habits and practices in your life that you just regularly do that lead you to love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that resolution mindset, which is so much about pro- like the time management is so much about like, I'll do this and I'll achieve that and I'll set this goal and I will meet it. This is more like, what are the habits and practices that I could just kind of keep repeating? Um, that will lead me into the love of God and love of my neighbor. And I think there's a lot of fruitfulness um, about that, especially in the kind of distracting world we live in where we have so many choices. And I think sometimes we just even get paralyzed in time because we just don't even know where to start sometimes. So hopefully that's answering your question. Pandemic, practice, rule of life, practice. And that's, that's one of the habits is that we've got to practice our way into faith sometimes, which isn't to say that's not antithetical to grace. Grace is what enables us to practice. Practice is just a way we respond to God's grace. Yeah, that is so good. I just, I hear you, I hear you reorienting or reframing the way I think about it from what can I get done? Goal orientation, bottom line yes. to just a more open-handed way of living, receiving, and what are the rhythms, habits, routines I can put into place that draw me near to the Lord and seeing yeah. that day as successful rather than did my mm-hmm. to-do list get done. And I'll admit that that's hard for me to feel like mm-hmm. it's been a good day 
because I oriented what I did, you know, to my father and I received from him and I offered back to him rather than my to-do list getting yes. off. It's just so yeah. counter to, to how we live. And so I mean, good. there's like to-do list can be a great expression of intentionality. Sure. Like mm-hmm. I think being intentional is, is a really key part of faithfulness. Um, mm-hmm. But it's sort of when it sort of, I don't know, it moves from intentionality, I guess, to control and the need yeah. to kind of satisfy our own sense of identity. You know, mm-hmm. productivity is also a lot about identity. Like I feel valuable in the world because I got things done. I did it. Yeah. Okay. Final two questions. One is when do you know you're veering off course? When are you, when do you know that you have gone full on idol of productivity or whatever? Um, and then second question is, can you close out our conversation with just a word of gospel encouragement? You know, maybe just send us out with like, why does this matter? Or why should we give it more thought, give our, our foundation some more thought and reorient mm. them to Jesus? A word of encouragement I think would be so helpful. Mm-hmm. How do I know I'm veering off course? Yeah. I think it's when I get really irritable and frantic, and it usually is about me living beyond my limits. Mm-hmm. So not accepting the givens of my life. Instead, like I use the phrase kicking against the goads, which I just love that, you know, Jesus speaking to Saul on the road of Dem- to Damascus, like, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? I'm like, I don't know what goads are exactly, but I think I kick against them a lot. <laughs> kicking against the givens of my life. I think trying to live a superhuman life rather than a spirit-filled human life, which I think is a very different thing. Um, So when I live a spirit-filled human life, like I'm still living as a human being. I'm not trying to be like superhuman. Um, I'm risking on the things God's asking me to risk on, but I'm not like idealizing the terms of life and just imagining like I can blow past any barrier of like physical need or health or, you know, limited capacity in some way. Um, And I know I'm doing that when like, yeah, I'm just mad and resentful. I actually want to say not just irritable. I want to say resentful. Mm -hmm. It's usually about like, well, other people are not cooperating with the plan. (laughs) Um, And then a word of encouragement. You know, there's a reason why there's a tree on the front of this book. And that is just Psalm one. I want people to just like, settle into the vision of Psalm 1, which is the tree, the, the, the righteous person being figured as a tree. And I want to say like trees don't grow overnight. Um, that there are, and the wonderful thing is that this is a tree that is planted by the Lord. Like it is planted by streams of water. So God intends for us the conditions that make for our growth. Um, but we have to sort of reimagine how that growth will happen, that it will be probably slower than we expect and more incremental than we expect. But man, the promise of that tree is so much. Well, first of all, a lot of people have seen Christ as the tree of Psalm 1, that he is, you know, the evergreen 
tree um, whose leaves never wither because though he died, he was raised to newness of life and we will also be raised to newness of life with and in him. Um, but just this whole idea of like, if you're like a tree, you can survive adverse conditions too. So time management is about ideal conditions, but like the Psalm 1 vision of flourishing is about flourishing even in adverse conditions. So whether you're in a season of ill health or unexpected loss or grief or, you know, whatever it is, like this is a picture of how you can flourish in Christ and um, gives you a lot of patience too. It's Mm. not just hope. But it's like patience and it's steadfastness and endurance. And I think those are some words to recover. Mm. And those are good things that we want. And there's no shortcut, right? Yes. No. Yeah. Well, we have really only just scratched the tip of the iceberg here. So I really hope that um, everybody will grab a copy of In Good Time. That will be linked in my show notes. Jen, people can follow you on Instagram. Sometimes I take it. And you have a newsletter. Tell people where they can follow you. Yes. Yeah. If you go to my website, probably the best way is just to sign up for my Monday letters. I like to, although I didn't send one out this week because today is Monday as we talk and realizing like, you know, we can't always just do everything. We meet our limits. And I did last week. Um, But I like to send out Monday letters and they're just from everything from what I'm reading to what I'm reading in scripture and lots of thoughts on habits and of course time. And so that's probably the best way to keep up. Yeah, definitely. And I get that newsletter and I always appreciate your recommendations and just your insights. So it's a good read. Well, thank you, Jen, for your time and for just sharing this wisdom. I know it's giving me a lot to think about. I think we all feel that way. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jen. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.